0: This podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Focusrite and Sure Microphones. So hello, and welcome to the Church Production Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Blackmore. I'm the editor at Church Production Magazine. And today we'll be discussing the Presonus 64S 64-channel digital mixer, recently released by our friends at Personas uh, with our friend John Spicer. John is the owner of Broken Soul Audio and the front-of-house engineer for Nikki Lerner. So before we get into our discussion on the 64S, uh, John, can you tell us a little bit more about Broken Soul Audio?
1: Yeah, uh, Broken Soul um, was born out of a lifelong... Uh, pursuit of audio, basically in the church world. and as i've <clears throat> gone over my life and gotten involved involved in more and more things, um I got to a point where I kind of had to form an actual entity uh, to cover a lot of my activities. I got and um, run front of house for churches, uh, do events, um, help them get their systems, uh, as in their procedures better aligned within their organization, help them with training. Uh, as well as I also write for you guys and uh, do some freelance uh, stuff on the side. So <clears throat> Broken Old Soul really got started out of just everything coming to a point in my life, which is really awesome. And um, looking back over history, I can see God's hand in all of it. Um, so that, that's kind of, you know, 25 years plus in audio with churches. Um, I have a real passion for um, helping relationship in community within churches where the tech teams don't always work very well with the leadership or the worship leader and trying to understand from a biblical perspective what that relationship should look like and why and how that can effectively make us more excellent at what we do within the right context. Um, <clears throat> also in that is I have a studio and I work with a lot of uh, young artists who otherwise don't have an opportunity to get their music out. Um, and it's really cool. It's good stuff. So that's not just audio.
0: It's not just technology, but it's, uh, it's ministry as well.
1: Yes. To be honest with you, um, that's how, that's how a lot of my work came about, um, was going out to churches and, um, who had, I had been recommended by people I had worked with, with my church. And, you know, it's great when churches within a community start sharing resources and, uh, I would go visit churches in my in my neighboring and surrounding areas to help them with audio problems they had or help them understand how to better work with their team, uh, that type of stuff. <clears throat> and that's really where my passion got lit um, for working within community. And um, audio is the venue. And the really great thing about it is there's so much within the audio spectrum of churches where the people who serve aren't understood or they're not loved well or they're just not brought into the fold um, within, With respect to the church body, we think of them as um, introverts. We think of them as uh, technology people who are a little bit weird. But the reality is we're all formed in God's image. We all have the same needs. So how do we bridge that gap? And the cool thing is when people start really working on that, they see their productions get better mm-hmm. because they're they're more well-teamed. They know how to work together. They know how oh, to deal with oh, yeah. conflicts.
0: I've had church techs tell me that they feel like they're... Um, know one step above the janitor
1: yeah well you know (laughs) nobody who i've ever met who runs sound or runs lights has a name of hey you or you in the back Um, (laughs) no this is tom tom has two kids one is three one is eight and if we don't know how to engage each other that way from a community perspective how are we going to engage each other in worship and leading congregation worship and demonstrating community if we don't have it Well, you can't be a team exactly
0: yeah okay so um in addition to writing for church production and working with broken soul audio um tell us a little bit about your day job
1: (laughs) my day job i uh i own a software engineering company uh, out of the baltimore dc area Uh, we specialize in a very niche area of cybersecurity, and we've been doing that for about 10 years Um, what's really neat is is watching as that's grown it has given me space to do more stuff with broken soul so i would anticipate sometime in the next number of years um, that will have fully matured, and I'll be able to move on to the church audio stuff and whatever capacity full-time. But uh, cybersecurity, software engineering, that type of stuff, the really nerdy things is, is my traditional background.
0: Well, wow, right there in DC. So I bet you have some interesting clients. You probably have some stories to tell, don't you, John? I
1: may or I may not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Excellent. Okay, your review in the November 2019 issue of Church Production Magazine. Uh, the review can also be found at churchproduction.com of the Persona Studio Live 64s. So, one of the things that you describe uh, at the beginning of your of your piece is you say that the console has a very solid feel. Um, that's something that's kind of hard to uh, communicate. Uh, using words or even in a podcast, but could, could you tell us what, what does that mean to you? What, when you? When you wrote that, what were you thinking?
1: Yeah, um, and, and to be honest with you, it kind of to your point, it's sometimes hard to describe. It boils down to maybe a very simplistic concept at the end of the day, which is when I grow up and when I go up to the console and I touch it or I grab a knob, I'm not worried about breaking it. So there's there's a lot of times in a mix where if things are flurried or something's not going right, the last thing you want to be thinking of is how hard you're manhandling the desk, um, or is this
0: going to make noise when I turn this knob?
1: Exactly. Or or I have a touch screen, and after six months of banging on this touch screen, is it going to break? Um, I actually. I, I work with a church who has a very nice high-end desk. they got a $100,000 desk, and their tap tempo button has a tendency to break. Um, and it just goes to show that, you know, not every console manufacturer does the best job at making a physical interface such that you always feel safe using it without having to think about pampering or babying it.
0: So is it, it gives you confidence when you feel something...
1: Yeah. Do yeah, you ab- feel abso- a certain way when you... Absolutely. It, feels, it, it gives you confidence. Uh, when, you're, when you're moving the faders, are the faders uh, smooth? Or do they feel notchy? Um, do, do you feel like there's mass to uh, the, butt, the, the finger pad on the fader? Uh, some feel really light and flimsy. Some feel pretty solid. And it really is about confidence, about understanding how I have this interface and I can not think about the desk. I get to think about my mix. Um <clears throat>
0: Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, was that uh, something that you expected to feel from a a kind of a a lower-priced console like this? Or were you, I don't know, were you surprised or or not?
1: So um, from pre-Sonus, I'm not surprised. Uh, But at the price point, it was was probably above average. We'll say that. (laughs) uh, And everybody has their opinions here. uh, But I never felt like the board was cheap. Um, despite the fact that it's ec- very economically priced. Um, and there are, there are definitely some consoles in that price point that, that don't feel as confidence inspiring from a physical interface perspective as that desk did.
0: Okay. The Studio Live 64S 64 channel digital mixing console has a list price of about $6,000, but we find retailers with advertising prices just under $4,400. If you look at the back of the desk, it accepts 32 analog inputs on that black back panel, but to get to 64 analog inputs, it requires uh, a stage box using AVB. Um, So they sent one of those boxes along to you to do the review, and um, I... Wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what it was, uh, what it was like setting that up. Was there, were there any complications or was it pretty straightforward? Act, or? It,
1: it was pretty straightforward. Actually, they sent me two, uh, which was really good because I could, uh, I could test a more complex networking pers- setup. Um, it was, there were two 16-input uh, stage boxes, and most systems nowadays are going to a stage box uh, layout for using a lot of inputs. 32 on the back is actually um, on a 64-channel desk nowadays. I don't find 32 input on the rear of the desk is normal. Um, but the AVB using it was pretty simplistic. It was for the most part plug-and-play. Um, I didn't have very many problems. I did have to look up. Um, <clears throat> I did have to look up two things on it actually, and only one of those pertained to AVB. It's actually interesting when you review these desks. Sometimes there's a there's a bit of a test is how far can I get with this thing intuitively. Uh, I did have to look up one uh, one bit of information, on their actual user manu- manuals, which was relative to the displays and the AVB routing. It turned out to be ex- exceptionally simple, uh, and it worked great. Other than that, I had really no issues.
0: So, I, but I wonder if something that's simple to you, being a software engineer and a you know a computer geek from way back, what, what's simple to you? Do you think that would be simple um, for one of your one of your church clients in maybe a small to medium sized church
1: actually yes uh, bec- and then the reason I say that is because uh i plugged I plugged the system together and it found it found all the devices. I was just looking up some esoteric clock information that uh, actually my users and smaller churches might not even care about if they weren't too tech- technically in depth with what they were doing um so, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of AVB stuff out there. AVB is very highly supported right now. And I, I don't anticipate that that would be a problem for most churches. And on the flip side of that, um, having worked with PreSonus with some stuff in the past, their support is top notch. So even if they did have a problem, I would expect that any phone call could very easily correct it if they couldn't find the answer already on the online documentation that PreSonus keeps. And they keep a pretty good library of information available and facts.
0: Okay. Um, okay, so the it's a sixty-four channel uh, mixing console. If you have the stage boxes to 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 uh, to to work with sixty-four, ch- you need you need the stage boxes to get to sixty-four channels analog. Um, but in addition to sixty-four channels, it has something called thirty-two flex mixes plus fat channels. Yeah. So that's a little confusing. What's the difference between a channel and a flex mix and a fat channel?
1: Okay. So we have a a regular channel would be what you would consider to be an input. Um, The flex channel is... Yes. So think of an input as a channel strip. Now, uh, as you start getting to these big desks, it's not necessarily completely synonymous because you can have uh, way more inputs than you have channel strips. So currently on this 64... Uh, there are only 32 channel strips but you can have 64 inputs because it's a digital desk and you can layer the faders based upon which input you want to touch at a time Uh, the flex terminology relates to what they call flex uh, buses that's on the busing side and what they're trying to tell you there is that you have that number of buses regardless if they're auxes or if they're groups um, or if they um, I have to look up what the third what the third type is. But the idea is with this desk, you don't have matrices. to worry about how you, right. yeah, thank you, matrices. So it doesn't matter if it's you want to use it as a matrixy, if you want to use it as an AUGs, or if you want to use it as a subgroup, the desk will worry about how much horsepower it needs to allocate to that function without you having to consider it. So if you think about how digital desks have progressed over the years, it used to be that you had to elect how you allocated your processing power. With the bussing on the 64S, you don't have to do that. You can tell it, I want you to be an AUGS, or I want you to be a bus, or uh, excuse me, I want you to be uh, a group. It'll turn that channel into that bus, into that type of bus, without having to worry about how much processing power you're using out of the uh, the chip fabric mm-hmm. underneath. The third thing you asked about was the fat channel. <clears throat> fat channel is... PreSonus' terminology for the control area that they use to control all of your input processing and your output processing for any given channel or output. So your gates, your compressors, your EQ, um, your filters, all of those controls are centrally located in something they call the fat channel. They've picked that terminology, and they're they're... They're being very consistent about it because that terminology actually goes across their entire product line, whether using their dolls or any one of their consoles. So the fat channel is really just your processing area that's dedicated, dedicated controls for all of that. You simply select a channel, and that processing area called the fat channel gives you all the processing controls for the thing that you selected. Does
0: that make does. sense? Um. So, uh, on the subject of processing power you you note in your review you you say the processing power is impressive. Um, yeah I'm wondering uh, how does that compare because you you reviewed the thirty two channel version a year or so ago. Um, and is there a difference? Uh, does this um, does this new sixty four channel version have more processing power? Or what is it what is it about the
1: processing power that made you cause it um, call it impressive? The thing that I the thing that I found impressive about it was that it, it does have more processing power than the thirty two, um, if for no other reason that you have all the processing now on sixty four inputs, not just the thirty two. Um, the other thing that's really impressive about this is that Presonus has started taking their desks into this plug- in topology where you can plug in, different types of processors in the fat channel, if you want. And just like what you're seeing in the recording world, we're seeing some very high end emulations of historically treasured audio processors. So not only do we have a compressor in the fat channel for all of our inputs, we can choose different emulations of different types of hardware compressors for each one of those input In in their fat channel section. You can also do that with the outputs. And that also then doesn't even speak to, they have an effects rack where you can do the same thing. So now you can have emulations of not just compressors and uh, gates, for example. You have different emulators for different effects units. Do you want some of the old time reverbs? Do you want some of the old time uh, nonlinear effects? That type of stuff. So what we're seeing big picture is we're seeing a um, merging of some of the high-end studio stuff in the recording space with the live arena. And we've kind of seen that before with Avid and some of the other larger manufacturers doing the really high-end stuff. But to see this type of technology come down into the lower-priced market segment is really phenomenal, especially if you consider that you can then go to pre-zonus and buy upgrade packs if you want even yet more flavors of some of the historical processors that mm-hmm. you want.
0: So third-party plugins as well?
1: Um, I don't know about third-party pro- plugins, but plugin packs sold by PreSonus right. for their desk that model, model other things. I don't recall off the top of my head if they actually support third-party mm-hmm. plugin standards like VST or whatnot. Um, I don't remember seeing that Avid was going to support that.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, something else you mentioned in the review is the the UC software... Um, and that it allows tablet mixing and so I wonder what could you could you tell us do you know what UC software means and what can you tell us about the tablet mixing
1: so I don't know what I am I actually don't know what the UC stands for to be honest about that but this is this is PreSonus is doing what a lot of are doing where they're giving you the ability to use tablets to control the desk and all the processing that's on the desk and you can have multiple tablets uh, connect to a desk. You can even have uh, like one of, one of the pictures they paint, which is actually a really great idea. Is you could have a front of house guy with multiple tablets open simultaneously while he's at the desk, having multiple screens open to different processing functions simultaneously. If he wants, effectively enlarging enlarging his workspace. Uh, or you can grab you could grab that and run off into the room, or have two engineers running, considering different different aspects of the mix or different aspects of the the monitors if you're running iem's in your environment
0: okay um so another thing that you mentioned is uh that you say the functionality is quite good what did you mean by that
1: um i think like in general terms yes it's it is absolutely a very user friendly
0: volunteer friendly
1: I found it to be very user friendly. Uh once I got used to what the workflow was, uh the desk the desk disappears pretty quickly. And and what I mean by that is when I say the desk disappears, it means as you get used to a workflow on any on any console, you get to a point where you're starting to reach for musical components rather than reaching through con- reaching for controls on the desk. You get to a point where instead of saying, "Oh, I need to change the threshold on compressor for channel four, you start thinking in terms of, oh, I need to adjust the compression on the, on the lead guitar, or I need to start, uh, I'm really not exactly sure exactly if I like what's going on in the 300 hertz range on uh, this vocal, let me just grab it. So you start very quickly transitioning this idea of, I'm working with the mix, rather than, oh, how do I do this again, or where do I go, or where is this control located? Uh, so from that perspective, the desk fell away very quickly. Excuse me. Um, the other thing that I thought was of note was that at this price point there really wasn't much that I was in want for in putting a pretty good mix together of uh, a multi-channel session that I was working Uh, so I think the only thing I might have thought was hey at a desk this size I would have preferred to have some uh, multi-band capabilities some multi-band dynamics Uh, but at the same time for the price point I can't fault that it's not there but other than that there was no point where I thought, oh, man, I really wish this desk had this. So basically it gave me all the tools that I needed in a way that was really easy to get organized around. And I really don't think there would be much problem with any volunteer audio person uh, getting used to it fairly quickly if they have any amount of background. And if they don't, it's probably a really good desk to get that background started with.
0: Okay. So uh, you mentioned that it, well, it doesn't have multi-band processing or, or effects, and, and you didn't expect it to at this point price point. I don't know that anybody would, uh, but you had, you had two other, uh, let's call them hesitations about the console, uh, that I'd like to dig into just for a moment. One of them had to do with the device management, uh, using AVB, which Personas is a a big proponent of AVB and, um, and are, are building an ecosystem, uh, you know, with their consoles as, as well as their, uh, uh, their personal monitor mixing system, uh, the recording capabilities, that, and some of their other products as well. But what what could you tell us? What, what, where did you run into uh, uh, a bit of a problem with
1: device management? Uh, from what I remember um, going through this, there were a couple uh, there were a couple management screens on the console that I thought could be done a little bit better. I don't believe it was necessarily that this is a problem because of AVB, but it the, was their AVB management implementation on this console. I thought could have been a little more intuitive. Um, and just small interface stuff. There was, uh, there was one of the things I noted was if you wanted to select, um, if, you were, if you were doing mapping of AVB devices and inputs to inputs on the console, at one point I found myself scrolling through like 64 inputs with a scroll wheel that would have potentially been better with a different interface design. Um, you may argue that that's being kind of picky. Uh, in some ways it is, but at the same time, if you approach this from someone who's kind of new to the space, that might have been a little bit tedious. Uh, the other the other thing with AVB um, is not so much a problem with AVB. I do think that there is room here for PreSonus to consider support for other protocols such as Dante. And the reason I say that is because I do know that in the world that I work with a lot of d- different churches, the prevalence of Dante-based networks over AVB networks is huge. Um, so while I don't knock PreSonus for the decision to go with AVB on the technical merits of AVB, I would like to see them do some sort of card or something that would allow them to hook up to a Dante network just because of the prevalence of that protocol out in the community.
0: Right. Okay, so you include, uh, you conclude the the article... Uh, saying that, that overall you, you like the console, you, you like the workflow, um, and you say, quote, it appears Personas did their homework. Um, wh- what struck you about that? What caused you to, to, to write that?
1: Because I think Persona's continually, um, and this is something I've noticed with them in the market, they seem to hit this real sweet spot of functionality, sonic quality, and usability, and when we're doing when we're doing reviews for for CPM or or I'm helping people work through device or gear selection, there's always that usability question. I'm gonna have different volunteers every week, or I'm gonna have um, different oh, people come in uh, with different uh, bands.
0: Yeah, 15 years ago, when my church got its first digital console, we went from five or six guys to mix that could mix down to one.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know, here's, because here's, you and I are old, so here's something to think about. When, when we go to teach new engineers today, we cannot draw parallels to analog desks because they've never touched them. So for me to say, hey, here's your OGS section and your EQ section and, your, and, and visualizing signal flow, top down, left to right, you can't do that anymore. Right? So, the more complexity we add in these desks, the harder it is for people to get their mind wrapped around, how do you mix audio? What makes good audio? How do you work with people? And oh, by the way, here's a really complicated desk to do it all with, and you're expected to know it from day one when you're flying solo. So the thing about PreSonus is <clears throat> they never seem to complicate that equation, which I think is pretty cool.
0: Love it. Okay, uh, John Spicer. Thank you so much for, uh, for, your, uh, for your contributions to church production. Again, the review can be found in the November 2019 issue of Church Production. Uh, you can search for it on churchproduction.com. Yeah, John, thank you. Until next time. Hey, not a problem. My pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Focusrite and Sure Microphones.